They're all here. The divas, princes, and living legends you should be obsessed with. Sitting down with me. I'm David Goldberg. These are the Luminaries. I'm joined this time by the irreverent, incisive, and abundantly intelligent comedian Jess Tom for a conversation about what else? Princehood. I hope you enjoy. Are we rolling? <laughs> we are rolling, Jess Tom. Welcome to the podcast. May I say welcome back to the podcast because yes. tragically you are so far the one lost episode of the podcast due to technical error. We had a really great conversation. But we it talk is lost. shit about all of you. Yes. And now you'll never know what our real opinions are. <laughs> we talked a lot of shit about people younger than us specifically. <laughs> if you're older and you're listening, you're, you're probably, probably fine. Yeah. I can't remember you. I don't know who you are. <laughs> you're not a threat to me. It's the young people. I catalog them by birthday. Exactly. I know. Exactly. Birth year too. Um, I want to start, you know, Terry Gross would never do this, but I do want to say you look extremely hot. And Thank you. Yeah, this look is really triumphant. David, I have a date tonight, so I'm delighted okay. to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's exciting. It is. It is. I'm, um, yes, as you know, uh, somewhat recently re-entering into a, a single position in the world. Yeah. And I really haven't been like dating or doing stuff like that at all, so this is kind of... But like going to be the first thing, sort of. Well, not the very first. I did like a a seal breaking date, yeah, a couple months ago, but a dud. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was it was just fine. You know, right. it was a just perfectly fine, good, fine date. Right. And now maybe you can start. Try, I understand. Like trying <laughs> getting. I, it, I have to be eased. I'm learning that for me to be fully activated, I have to be like eased back into it. It's not like I can't throw myself in yes yeah i uh yes i'm also sure we'll say this on the pod uh coming into i think maybe three months of celibacy Mm -hmm. which has been very exciting so curious to know what it'll be like once that uh breaks open too but we'll see we'll see we'll see i did like six months this year so Mm -hmm. i understand it's very confusing because then there's a lot of like for me. There's been a lot of stop and start, and I don't know. It's it's, it's very confusing because you don't know what's happening while it's happening. You don't know that you're going to be celibate for six months mm-hmm. while you're celibate for six months. So, I think yeah. that for me, when I've done like stretches of six months or more, once it's like four months in, I ease into it, and mm. I'm like, great. Like, I guess, I guess this is my life now. <laughs> Which is fine. It's so nice. Which is fine. I love to take off. some time by myself. <laughs> love to eat chips in bed. Yeah. Love to like focus on my work. I love uh, and earnestly. I do. I love to do all those things. In terms of yeah, I'm curious because I feel like everyone I know it's different. In terms of your work, do you feel like you need to kind of be really focused and on your own? Do you feel like a relationship helps you or distract? Like, how's that for you? So far, I'm finding that I I do much better work as a single person. Yeah. Which I really wish wasn't true, but something about... I mean, because a relationship is work, and it's also emotional work, and, like, putting in that level of emotional work there in that personal segment of my life, kind of, I don't know, it... it well, I guess it just takes it out of uh, me totally being able to focus on... Maybe I can only do one thing at a time. Yeah, monotasking. I will say I have had um, 
not so much this time around, but in the past, I've had like tremendous acting breakthroughs after uh, breakups, but it's usually indicative of me like having emotionally stunted myself in order to stay in the relationship. And then once the relationship is over, I'm like, wow, I can feel things. <laughs> um, it feels bad. <laughs> um, that uh, I was really hoping for an acting breakthrough this time, and I don't think it's happened yet, but we'll see. We'll see. Last time I saw you, uh, we were at a party. You looked fantastic. and Thank you. I We had a bit of a moment that I really appreciated where you express that, um, you know, we're both at the end of our 20s and uh, at this age, a lot of straight women are exploring their – are no longer straight or right, they're right. coming out as or queer previously or previously straight, previously right. straight practicing are now realizing, yeah, that actually there's this other part of themselves. Yeah, and there's this sense of they're exploring and someone like you who's kind of single and open is um, receptive to that but also very vulnerable because often – we just had a conversation about how you and I are basically ancient ones. Yes. And a lot of the new children <laughs> who don't know their way and don't really understand consequences and don't really know what they want um, are kind of striking out while we're uh, – waiting for something more yeah well i just think of i mean just for context like i've been out as some sort of queer person since i was 14 same right so at this point that's more than half my life um so i've actually i've been some kind of queer person for longer than i ever thought i was any kind of straight or like normative person certainly yes <laughs> thank god for that yes and it's wonderful and it's amazing um and i'm so grateful for it um and it also just means well like uh like i've just been moving through a different sector of the world from like other people who come out later in life just because i've like literally never i was 14 you know i was never like a straight acting adult or anything like that. Right. I was never like past the age of 13. Nobody's ever looked at me really and been like, that's like a normal girl who seems really regular to me. I've, they've always been like, what's wrong with your hair? Right. <laughs> or like, wow, you're so brave to give yourself that haircut. <laughs> um, which is, um, <laughs> yeah, you crossed over. Right. Exactly. I remember, um, Channy Nicholas said to me, like, as soon as she got with a woman, the catcalling went way down, which I'm not saying is any way a moralistic value. I'm just saying, like, um, the way she was being seen shifted. That's interesting. I find that the opposite of that to be true. Really? I find that oh, okay. I, um, as sort of like a masculine-leaning androgynous person, when I'm moving through the world by myself, almost nobody pays attention to me at all. And when I'm with like a beautiful high femme, suddenly we become like hot, sexy lesbians that everybody can see. Of course. But you in yourself, once you had crossed over into queer world, you were queer. It wasn't and I was like, like that's it. who like, are they? It no. was like, you're you're in this world and, and you're not, there's no uh, back and forth really. Mm -hmm. Same. And I think that there's really something about, um, about having always sort of existed in the margins in this way. Um, that makes us different or at least, and like, not to say that other people like aren't going to get there like they will, it's just going to take 14 years or something, you know, and 14 years of like 
of like reverting to your most vulnerable 13 year old self, like 13 year old version self. <laughs> like, and I think I also think I need another 14 years absolutely. because I'm just deconditioning from the last. For, because from when I turned 18 and they were – I was basically told like, you're a part of a sexual economy mm-hmm. now. You're a twink and a bottom. Like, it was nice knowing you. See you later. Like, we'll catch up when you're dead. Basically, I'm now 10 years later like, okay, what are my desires? What do I want? What interests me outside of like the porn matrix? So mm-hmm. even – I think you and I are just maybe getting more militarized, more literate, etc. as we age. But – uh, so it really, even once you're in, it takes a long time. I've literally been, I literally just had this thought like yesterday that I've been thinking of myself as like, um, like the rest of my life as some sort of queer person is going to be like a snake, like shedding and shedding and shedding yes. and just like always emerging a new, like wet, and like yes. wet and shiny and like some new wet, shiny thing yes. every, every so often I'm just going to do it over and over again. And I think that, um, to your point about uh, specifically us as like old queer people, quote unquote, versus like newer queer people, is just that like we've we've shed so much, and sometimes other people don't realize they're going to have to shed it all. You know, there was a guy I had a crush on, um, and earlier this summer he. I need to get over this, but he, you know, he's very conventionally attractive. He's very, like, Ivy League looking, Mm -hmm. and he, white, and he told me that he is attracted to women, but he's kind of embarrassed about it. He doesn't know what to do with it, um, but he wants to act on it. Mm -hmm. And in his case, I got really angry because I had this sense of, like, Oh, he's thinking of going back, isn't he? Oh. And I that is not in any way the case with bisexuals largely, but in this case there was this sense of like maybe he came out in college or after and maybe he knew how good it was before he came out. Right. And now he's thinking about going back and it real I was like I got it then cuz I was like, well, that's not a thing for some of us. I would never want to go back, but it's it's too late. I mean, well, I don't f- think I even know what that feels like. I can't imagine ever. <laughs> like, I think you know, there was one time in the sixth grade when I asked uh, this boy to the Halloween dance, um, and I had a huge crush on him—a huge, yeah. major, major crush on him. I was so nervous, and I asked him uh, to the dance after him woodshop, and um, yes, <laughs> and that I think was one of the last moments of me being like I claim myself as like a heterosexual like as as like a girl who likes boys and like he said yes and like a girl who might be like desirable to a boy maybe but then we didn't you know, we were 12 years old. We got there and we, like, didn't dance with each other and didn't, like, talk to each other or anything. <laughs> and also the cloud of woodshop for me is hanging so over this as, like, a butch mask kind of. For the record, I was very terrible at woodshop <laughs> and I was very afraid <laughs> to be in the woodshop studio. I was like, well, I'm not this kind of gay person. Jess and I are both wearing kind of combat attire right now, <laughs> but do not let that fool you. Like. Uh, we love Linda Hamilton, but we cannot be Linda Hamilton. I've been um, saying recently on stage that, like, Mulan is the only cultural point of reference for me because I am, like, a beautiful young woman dressed like a soldier. But I'm like, <laughs> no, I would, I would die in a war. <laughs> I would die immediately. 
<laughs> oh god, if there were a Mulan, I think VR is bullshit, but once we could have like a become Mulan thing, I'm in. Yes. Um yeah, I guess I don't know if this is related, but something that's been happening with me a lot that I'm complaining about that makes me sound like an old timer, but I don't think that's what it is is Basically, I know pretty much everyone in New York, every queer person, especially queer men in New York, is in an open relationship, Mm -hmm. which we love and celebrate. Mm -hmm. Many of them tend to slide into one's DMs, um, even when you're friends with them and their boyfriend. Yes. And because I'm the single person, when they'll slide into my DMs when the boyfriend's out of town or whatever, sometimes it's just for fun or whatever, or which is lovely. Sometimes it's kind of like, um, you know, I'm the vulnerable one here, and mm-hmm. you're not. And it made me think of that what you were, what we were just talking about about kind of these new queers who are striking out, where it's like, I'm kind of out here. I'm single. I know kind of who I am, um, and you're getting to kind of like play around, and I have to be faced with the consequences, and maybe you aren't as much. Well, also sometimes I feel like. Um I just feel a greater responsibility or that, like, I should almost, quote-unquote, know better. I have something that I really struggle with as, like, as a person who is queer and assigned female at birth and, like, has come up in, like, lesbian spaces and identifies with, like, lesbianism and this and that way, whether or not I myself strictly hold that identity, which I don't really, um, but I sort of do. Anyway, um, is that the prevailing narrative in quote-unquote lesbian media, a.k.a. usually created by men for the male gaze, of course. is this narrative of, like, one, like, experienced lesbian <laughs> and one, like, oh, straight woman who's never done this before. I'm shaking. Oh, I've never yeah. known that I could feel this way. Like, yeah. whatever. Which I do, unfortunately, I do feel very wrapped up in that fantasy and very wrapped up in that net. And it's been much worse in the past um, for me. I kind of, I, I really have been trying to do a lot of work to get myself further away from that fantasy and further away from other, like, you know, having a colonized desire, like only wanting to date white people or like white women that specifically look a certain way that is like mainstream and desirable that like straight men might be attracted to also. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm certainly not out of it at all. Um, I think about that a lot. I've been, I watched, um, uh, (laughs) I watched that Lizzie Borden movie. With Christina Ricci? Which one? The oh, there's one, a new one. <laughs> yeah, the new one with um, Kristen Stewart and oh, dear. Chloe. Uh, how do you say her last name? Thank you. I was like, let me just ask the gamer how the to gay. say a famous person's name because <laughs> I don't know. Um, and it was, first of all, it's not a sexy movie at all. But um, yeah. they like really, they managed to really, really, really mess up a movie that is a lesbian period piece axe murder, patricide, rape, revenge fantasy, and make it, like, a boring movie. It should be easy. I know. It's, like, all fun things to say. Yeah, that should be, like, notes on a scandal. That should should be be butter. the most fun, like, delightful, irreverent, glorious, blood-on-the-walls axe murder movie. I don't see why not. Well, they didn't. (laughs) Um, But I was like, oh, 
Um, basically, uh, you know, what happens in the movie is like whatever Lizzie Borden is part of whatever this famous entrepreneurial American family. And then she gets this new maid, Kristen Stewart, um, who's this like Irish, this poor Irish girl. (laughs) Um, and, um, and after I watched it, I was like, oh my God, this is all just a movie about this maid woman kind of getting sexually preyed upon by, like, everyone in this family because, like, the patriarch, the Borden patriarch is sexually assaulting her, which is, like, why they go and kill him. Right. Um, But also, I felt like Lizzie Borden kind of isn't, you know, it's not violent in the same way, but it is, you know, she's in a position of power. She does, like, coerce her into... She's like, okay, now we're going to murder my dad. (laughs) Like, and she's sort of like, what? Like, I didn't sign up for this. And gets her, like, all wrapped up in this whole thing. And I was Mm. like, oh, my God. Like, this is very... I don't know. Maybe this isn't exactly analogous to what we were talking about, but it's, like, the same sort of setup where there's sort of this, like, evil lesbian who, Mm. like, corrupts this like poor sort of innocent no it's not a scandal <laughs> right right which is crazy because Kristen stewart in real life is really the gay one but anyway yes extremely mm-hmm. i guess i'm yeah i guess i'm just curious like it is it does seem like a a bit of a recent phenomenon unless i'm naive but a lot of women our age many of whom are performers are um some have boyfriends some don't but a lot of them are like striking out and saying like okay i'm also into women which i love Mm -hmm. and it's amazing but i guess i'm just curious like how is this something do we need to change are we too like old and war weary is this a matter of like reintegrating is this maybe like we need to go back to the way things were before gay identity became such a thing where people can just be fucking whomever or i I don't know a part of me thinks like you still got to doing something Mm -hmm. for the rest of us which a lot of them are i don't know i don't know i i just feel like hmm i don't mean to put you on the spot i'm just curious about like where this all is going because things aren't changing so quickly i think that's the reason i'm excited to talk to you because as ancient ones i'm like okay we're having another shift and like how everyone else is doing their relationships you know I mean, first of all, of course, I think it's really great that anybody... I I think it's really great that anybody makes a shift towards, like, a a queer sort of life. I think it's especially great when they're women, just because I think that being, like, a cis heterosexual woman, and really, actually, any heterosexual woman, cis or trans or whatever, um, is really hard. I agree. Uh, <laughs> Get out. <laughs> yeah. So I always think that that's just like the right choice. I'm yeah. always like, great, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. That's awesome. Um, I just think that like queerness is such a jumping off point for so many other things. Like the mm. seed of like attraction is just the very, very first thing to happen and it's definitely not the be all end all and I think sometimes people mistake it for the be all end all but you know it was that that led me to gender identity that led me to racial identity to decolonization to understanding class and like even thinking that it's important to 
think about these things in this way. Like queerness is the framework yeah. that I use f- to understand the rest of these things. Um, and I do think that the danger of coming into this sort of, you know, post-marriage equality world um, is that sometimes queerness gets framed as, you know, who you love is who you love. Yawn. Right. <laughs> Which, like, and, like, that's period. <laughs> like, and that's it, and we don't have to talk about anything else. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, really, yeah, I think that that's so, it's dangerous and also so boring. Yeah. I guess it's interesting because we're in this, inter- I mean, if I, if you look at the comedy world, like, we don't really have, um, actually, I someone said this to me, like, queer-flavored, which I was like, that's the terminology because... Basically, the scene we're in, it's, like, queers and a lot of really cool women. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been a way to describe it because I'm, like, there's a lot of straight women in this scene who are amazing and who are basically, like, as in many ways uh, open-minded as we kind of, you know, they get it. So we just haven't found a terminology for all of it. So for... In in that case, if it, in some cases, it's a reverse engineering where it's like, oh, it's this person who's like really cool and gets it, and mm-hmm. now they want to be queer. Great, you know. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, I mean, there are. I actually feel that in some ways that gets a little complicated, okay. especially in spaces. In my observation, ooh, we're getting into how I really feel now. Um, in some spaces that are curated by gay men. I find that straight women are readily accepted in a way that, like, lesbian-identified people or queer women or queer uh, AFAB people or transmasculine people or non-binary people that aren't, yeah. I think race plays into that, too. I think there's a, like, I know that white gays... We really, I mean, we love a diva, of course. of course, or we love to turn a straight woman into a diva when she may not be that. Right. And we also love like a black Barbie doll often. Mm-hmm. It, it And it is very common and I think it comes from the right place, but it's, yeah, it, it can get a little exploitative and weird. I know that I've been on shows that are specifically explicitly gay and queer themed shows where the lineup is multiple cis gay men, multiple straight women, and then me. And I just think, to me, I'm like, well, where are the dykes at? <laughs> like, yeah. there's so many of us out here, and there's so many of us in comedy, and we've been in comedy for a long time. And in some ways, I also think that um, a contentious narrative has been built between gay men and dykes in comedy. I remember reading an article once. This was some years ago, you know, before people like Joel and Bowen and Julio were, like, very successful in comedy far, far before that. Um, An article that was about, like, where are the gay men in comedy, which sounds really stupid now. Um, But, no, it was very real. (laughs) It definitely was. And I remember they specifically set up a dichotomy where they were like, whereas lesbians such as Wanda Sykes, Ellen DeGeneres, Margaret Cho, have found great success in comedy. Gay men have had no success and kind of created this narrative that was like gay men versus lesbians in comedy. Um, And I wonder how much of that, like even if not directly like from that article, if that sentiment 
still sort of exists. Or just in general, um, gay men and dykes having a hard time connecting with each other. You know, when I used to... In LA, when I used to... Oh, God, I can't believe I ever campaigned for gay marriage equality, but apparently I did when I was, like, 21. That's okay. You meant well. I know. What was that, though? <laughs> Jesus. Um, and I thought I was weaponized at that point, too, but apparently I wasn't. Anyways, they did say, like, because um, we would knock door-to-door in Boyle Heights, they said, like, be sure to say the word lesbian first before gay because studies show that the American public is more comfortable with lesbians than with gay men because, you know, anal mm-hmm. sex is more terrifying, blah, 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 blah. Um, and lesbians are more sexier. Lesbians are sexier. They're either sexier or they're completely anodyne. So mm-hmm. it's you either have Ellen DeGeneres, who is apparently even George Bush can can get with that. Right. Like, is she so benign? Or you have, like, sexy librarian porn. But mm-hmm. the, that's kind of... and. I don't know. There is something to be said about lesbians in comedy because I just had Judy Gold on the podcast. I've interviewed Sandra Bernhard. I mean, there's such a legacy, huge legacy. Um, And gay men are are just starting. And yeah, maybe there is – I don't know if it's – directed towards lesbians, but yeah, maybe it's like where we see ourselves as in two different worlds or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that has just been like a historical – thing (laughs) that has lasted for us. I mean, and it makes sense, I guess, like, to speak in a purely binary gendered sort of way if you're separating yourselves out into, like, quote-unquote just men and just women, I guess it makes sense that, like, you wouldn't overlap. And I guess if you want, if you allow yourself to dig your heels deep into the misogyny or misandry, respectively, um, that you might already feel then you don't really have to overlap in that way. And I actually think that that is the work that we have to do moving forward is to, like, kind of get us all into the same pool and, like, caring about the same sort of stuff. I am um, I do want to hear your thoughts because the scene we're in has a really, like, fucking banging lesbian non-binary voice. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. just thinking of people we know personally would be, like, Sydney Washington, Tessa Scarra, Sophie Santos, um, Jess Solomon, Jess Solomon, and, yes, um, and Iman El Husseini, of course. Yeah, Anna um, Fabrega. I mean, it, the oh list my god, goes on. of course. So I'm, I'm, and it's, it is really. I, I don't want to say amazing to see because I feel like it's been there, but I'm just, I'm curious. Kind of, if if you've seen it get bigger, if you've seen it evolve, that sort of thing. I just think that. The queer scene uh, in comedy in New York has really bloomed in a way that is, like, beyond my wildest dreams. It's outrageous. <laughs> beyond. Um, I got here in 2013, um, fresh out of college, I and I just started doing comedy at club open mics. Yeah. And um, because there wasn't really this sort of queer scene like specifically i remember googling queer comedy open mic and nothing came up and so now there's five a night right exactly in brooklyn at least yeah it's astounding it's really wonderful um to see and to see young people these like young young like 22 year old people (laughs) who have like a space in comedy i'm like oh like i really wish that i got to do that whereas i was doing these like really horrible club and bar open mics 
and or going all the way over into my queer spaces, which didn't overlap at all, and then doing comedy at, like, someone's poetry reading or something like that, which I still do. Um, (laughs) And I love to do it. I love to do it. Um, But it's just a different vibe. I do think something that has come up when I talk to newer comics, um, so now we're talking about not necessarily new queer people, but new comics who are coming up in this scene as as it exists today, they, I hear, are bumping into some obstacles because they're they're, um, accustomed to these supportive rooms. They're accustomed to being seen and held (laughs) for who they are in their truth and in their authenticity. And then so they have a hard time breaking out into other spaces that are not as friendly Whereas I have kind of this weird advantage because I started in the most hostile environments. Most hostile, like, you know... uh, It's crazy because, you know, we only met two years ago, but I remember in 2017 interviewing you, Joel Kim Booster, and Mateo and hearing war stories Mm -hmm. about, like... Yeah, I was in this Ukrainian basement doing a set, and then they started booing, so I had to run out, like that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that was expected. And I still think, I don't want to say, like, good for you, but I do think it serves you. You know, I had Jay Jordan on the podcast a few weeks ago. He's about to be on The Tonight Show. Oh my god, so excited for him. I am too, and Jay, to me, is similar to you, where Jay, at some point, whether it was a choice or not, realized, like... Actually, I'm going to need to keep working on these larger, broader crowds mm-hmm. or else I'm going to I, – I think there's some part of you that either it's ambition or intelligence that knows that, yes, you probably could be happy doing blue stockings every night. But a part of you, I think, wants to like keep pushing yourself and that means going to – bizarro, hostile, Caroline's on Broadway dimensions. I've always had uh, Madison Square Garden's ambitions. So I'm like, well, if I want to do that, if I want to be Hollywood, if I want to do late night TV, whatever, like I have to be able to appeal to like a a wide swath of the American public, which in the beginning for me meant lying about who I was on stage um, because I thought that it would be easier for people to understand and right. I do actually think that at the time the world was such that it was easier for people to understand that. Yeah, certainly. Um, but I've been – oh, yeah, no, people would call me Asian girl with small tits. I've been called that on stage. I've been called a piece of ass. I've been called, like, horrible <laughs> things that people would just say about me on stage wow. after I went up. And after I would crush, too, um, yeah. to bring me down. Um and, um, you know, being around all of these, like, creepy men or, like, people who I knew were, like, bad, bad people based yeah. on, like, what they would say online um, and just being like, well, these are the people that I have to be around. Um, and I'm so, so, so glad that um, young queer comics now don't have to do that. Yes. And also at the same time, I'm not grateful for that, but I'm grateful that now I can walk into a club and still crush yeah, you have, oh, I hate this term, but thick skin. Yes. I'm wondering, I, I'm wondering <clears throat> because it's exciting to see some of these controversies that happen where a scumbag in the comedy world gets called out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exciting to see, but in other ways, it's kind of 
strange because it's like, oh, this is weird that people suddenly care. And it's weird that like everyone has an opinion. And I, I wonder if it's surreal for you to watch these sorts of not just in comedy, I mean, just in the entertainment industry in general, where there will be a, a, a discourse or an argument about either race, gender, abuse, etc. Um, is it kind of surreal to see how it like is now these they become these kind of like lightning rod moments in culture? It is. Um, I've actually been thinking about this Ellen thing that's been happening. Go off. <laughs> okay, so for me, my my narrative with Ellen is well, she's always been that iconic dyke. Um, for my whole life, um, basically. But I remember there was one time, oh my gosh, in, uh, in acting conservatory when I had to learn, of course, a Chinese accent for something. Naturally, I was asked to do that. Right. Um, and so, and this is really crazy and this really says more about like my, um, inability to do good research, but I was looking up uh, interviews with Jackie Chan because I was like, okay, let me just listen to some people speak yeah. English with like a Hong Kong accent. Um, and so I watched this interview um, with Jackie and Ellen and Ellen comes out right away and is like, oh, I'm so glad to talk to you, you know, in real life. When we were on the phone, I couldn't understand you at all. Oh. And just immediately, <laughs> what? Yeah, and then and then starts being like, "Oh, can you do any kung fu moves? Like, can you?" And like trying to get him to like do all this stuff. And this was from you know it was on Ellen. It wasn't that long ago. Um, and I remember seeing that, and it really souring her for me. Yeah, really, really, really souring her. And well, that that sort of was it for me. I was like, okay, I get it. I get Ellen now. I get what her deal is. And so to see her, like, have a beer with George W. Bush, I'm like, duh, girl. Yeah. Like, what do you guys mean you're, like, surprised and appalled? <laughs> like, she was she was being racist on TV. Right. Like, I remember seeing uh, – this I don't remember quite as clearly, but I, I watched um, a segment with her and Psy, that Korean pop star, yeah. when Gangnam Style came out, and the way that she – the way that she talked about him or the way that she brought him out wasn't the same as the way that she would bring out, like, an American pop star. Like, right. it sort of was like, here's this, like, kooky foreign man who's, like, going to teach us this crazy dance. And I just, um, so, like... And what's cruel, the irony about that is, of course, BTS is... BTS right. and K-pop is going to swallow everything. Right. It's going to consume the world. And, Amer fuck, you know, any American pop will be... Annihilated. No, totally. Or or they're gonna have to conform to that. Mm -hmm. Um and that but anyway, all all of all of those examples you know, happened on her TV show and weren't like a paparazzi picture that somebody snuck. Um so I'm glad that people are becoming I guess aware of these things or deciding that they care about things like this. I am glad for that. Um but I do think – I think it's interesting how selective we can be about these things. Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of that came up with Kevin Spacey where it was like, okay, like – I don't know. It just felt kind of like bullshit to me because I was like, you don't get to just – we can't just decide universally that we're angry now about this thing we've all known about. Mm -hmm. It just – it's so random and selective like you said. I kind of – someone I really want to interview is 
I really want to interview B.D. Wong because he's been around forever. And I'm curious what it's like for him when there are these moments and like, I wonder what it was like when Crazy Rich Asians came out for him, who's been acting since the dawn of time, to Mm -hmm. be like having it explained to him that Asians are in. Asians are in in Hollywood now. Did you hear? Did you like I'm so curious about what it's like when you're when you've been around and you've really had to like kind of the way you were just explaining where you're like you were kind of on your own for a while and now things are getting things are changing so quickly and there is there's excitement and then there's a little bit of like skepticism just a little bit of like oh so what is this now you know Mm -hmm. and also for me like a fear that i like missed the wave in this way Mm. that maybe i'm like too ancient that maybe if i hadn't come out at 13 years old that maybe if i had just waited maybe if i just waited until i was 25 and had grown into like a hot sexy woman and then somebody would find it appealing that like i feel like kissing a girl um, whereas as it is right now, everybody's like, yeah, that makes sense. You and I are both going to live to be at least 100. I'm just curious what you – what do you see for the later years? I mean I know I, I'm always asking like what you want to be doing now, et cetera. But I'm just curious like what do you want when you're truly an ancient? So – okay. So this is not exactly the answer to the question Great. that you're asking. Great. Even better. Um, but to to return of the image of, uh, to return to the imagery of the sh- snake that sheds over and over. Yes. Um, I'm uh, I'm about to start um, hormones. And oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm great. Go on. I know. Which I'm like. It's funny because like as a like quote unquote public persona in this or that way, aka my under 10k following. Still but, a very robust over 5k following. Thank you. It's um, and you're but you're almost at 10k, right? We're gonna get there by You're like at nine nine eight. We're gonna okay. get there. And you've been on a roll recently. <laughs> Thank you've you. also the the new Twitter picture of you with the witch's hat, I was like, okay, they are really coming in hot this this Halloween. <laughs> Thank you. I'm trying to um I'm trying to really get good at the game. You're really the salt is like it's it's fine. <laughs> It's sea salt now. Um, you are so you are starting hormones and uh, sorry as a public figure. Um, I've I keep thinking like oh you know I'm I'm not going to make a big deal out of this you know I'm not going to like make some big like Instagram post or whatever. Here I am. I say it on a podcast. Whatever. Um, That's it. Don't worry about it. Um, and my narrative for years for myself has been. Like, okay, like, this is fine. The way that I am is fine. When, you know, I might at some point start aging in a way that I don't like. And then at that point, maybe I'll try this other thing. And then as it turns out, I think that I'm hitting that point a lot earlier than I maybe was expecting to. Um, Which is to say that I'm about to enter into, at the top of next month, I'm about to enter into a whole new era of my life. And I don't know exactly what it's going to look like on the other side. I don't really know what, like, ancient, ancient elder me is going to be like. And I don't know how many, like, once I've, like, shed that many times, I have no idea what it's going to be like. I'm so excited to hear this. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, this is really something to celebrate, I think. Thank you. I'm I'm excited. I'm scared, um, and I'm scared about how it's going to affect my stand-up. I have thoughts, but continue. I 
Um, I was talking to Nori Reed about this. Um, do you know Nori? No. She is based. She is just now moving to LA. Previously from the Bay Area. Um, she is trans, biracial, Korean, and white. Um, and she and I. She was saying that as a trans woman and a comic. Um, audiences feel comfortable around her because she is like she has this like chubby benevolent femininity that people like and that it's this version of femininity that people feel comfortable around and I was like it's funny because from an opposite direction I identify with that that I have this sort of soft sweet femininity I get on stage and people are immediately like that person is so cute I like them and yeah. that's kind of my game is that I get there. I'm so cute. You have to like me. Yeah. And now I'm going to do this thing that changes the way that I am and specifically the way that people perceive me. I've been saying that my greatest fear is that testosterone will turn me into an unfunny man. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is so Kafka-esque. Like, you wake up as, like, a really boring male stand-up yeah. and like you you try to tweet and it's just bad yeah and it's like oh my wife like <laughs> why all the ladies have to go to the bathroom together like and I'm just interested I'm interested to see what's going to happen and um, it's funny because I just told my manager who for context is also a transmasculine person. Okay. Um, I love New York. <laughs> I love New York. I feel so grateful for New York. Um, so I, I told my manager, who's also a transmasculine person, for context, also not on hormones currently, um, which is just to say that right now we move through the world in sort of similar ways, um, that I was going to do this. And they were like, great, well, it's not going to hurt your career. And the way that that just, like, rolled off their tongue, I was like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. And I sort of forget that, like, oh, actually, if I get perceived as something sort of closer to a man, actually, people like men. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that. Actually, people like men. Actually, to become more masculine is actually, in a lot of cases, to gain a certain uh, status or this or that. And we'll see. You know, I don't even know what's going to happen at all. This is what I think. Another person we know in this scene is just started this process too. Yes. The worst thing that can happen to an artist or a person, in my opinion, is stagnation. Mm-hmm. We are at an age where a lot of people one way or the other, are stagnating. A lot of performers we know have found a shtick that works, and they're probably going to stick with it for a very long time, far longer than it'll remain true. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people we know are having to decide, maybe in this return of Saturn time, do I stay in this relationship or this job that isn't really me, or do I take a leap? If you are able to take a dive into the unknown as a public figure with all of us watching not only is it extremely brave but it can only serve you because people are going to see oh that person is changing before my eyes and is coming into focus and i Mm. want to see this coming into focus yes you're sharpening and also it's not 
um, oh, I've seen, I think I know who Jess Tom is. I guess we can go for that or maybe not. It's going to be who is Jess Tom. Mm-hmm. And it's your, you and, and this other comedian we know, I'm like, I'm so excited. It's just going to get bigger and and develop and evolve, which is the point of being an artist or a person is to evolve and to change. So you're like really forcing yourself to oh, do it. I literally always say I love to force a change. Same. Like when I, well, the last time you saw me, which was, um, two months ago, you, you looked different. I looked different. Yeah. And I, that day after we recorded, went to get a really drastic haircut because I had just gone through this breakup and I was like, let me just get this yeah. totally different haircut. And now I look totally different. And, yeah. um, actually it's interesting. I saw, uh, yesterday, um, my ex in real life for the first time. Um, and it was very, um, we, we live off the same train, um, and the train doors open and I was literally moving to get onto the train and there she was like facing the doors. And at that moment she had looked down at her phone, which like, I was like, great phones. We love them. We love the addiction to the internet. We love it. Keep looking. And I just like skittered away. (laughs) Like I like crab walked away into another car. Um, But it was interesting because looking at her, I was like, wow, she looks like, um, like a photograph from the past. Like she looked the same Mm. as when we were together. And I look almost like irrecognizably different i agree um you posted the you posted a picture i think you were at a wedding of you with this new haircut in a suit and it was this like very radical kind of queering of the bar mitzvah boy where you like you look like a sexy sexy rich teen kind of oh my god i love that (laughs) but it was like oh this is you look already so different from who you are. Mm-hmm. And that, that I think, in terms of the return to Saturn thing, like, that's the, the good part. I literally have been asking myself over and over again, who am I becoming in this moment? And right. who am I going to become? Um, because I really don't know. Yeah. And that's – it's exciting, but it's also – and this is, like, a very – this is a very privileged thing to say. It's a very thin privileged thing to say and a very pretty privileged thing to say. Um, but people like what I am currently yeah. so much that it's so scary for me to make the active choice to move away from it in some ways is that are irreparable that will never change back. Um, you know, people... This always sounds so crazy to say, but it's literally true. People tell me all the time they love the way my voice sounds. Yeah. They love my speaking voice and my career is based in me speaking into a thing that makes my voice loud so people can hear my voice and I'm going to change my voice and it will never change back. Okay. There are other things that if I wanted them to change back, I could reverse them, but my voice will never change. Um, and I'm that's scared. very scary to me. That is, I mean, I think like the thing the other thing people love about you is like your vocabulary and your like metaphorical voice which is only getting stronger but i no i understand it's i'm not going through that change and it is you're basically going through like your own second puberty basically Mm -hmm. that is not the kind of puberty that like people love to pat you on the back for so i understand it's very singular and i didn't really go through that much puberty right 
I mean, if you're listening, you can't tell what I look like, but um, I didn't I didn't have like a super drastic, crazy puberty um, the way that some people, uh, lots of people do. Um, and so I just don't know what it's going to be like. I think the challenge for you too is like, Again, as an ancient one um, and as someone who I think is a little burdened by their intelligence, ah, just a little you. bit. <laughs> thank you. It's very heavy. I think you are you, one of your strengths is that you're able to like put a lot of these politics and a lot of this into reference and language and context. What you're about to do, unfortunately, requires embracing extreme ambiguity. Yes. I just had Cyrus Dunham on the podcast yesterday, and their book was very good, but a huge part of their book is them being like, this is where I am. This is what works for me. A lot of this contradicts what I thought about the world or what I thought about gender, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I have to kind of like allow for it. And I think that's kind of like your next challenge is just being like, I don't know what I, what this is. This is what feels good. This is what doesn't. Right. And it's very I, hard. And now we're coming up against, um, you know, this thing where I have been getting to feel so ancient and so experienced and so like lived in like oh, I've been living in this world I've been living in this body for so long for more than half my life and now I'm about to enter this phase that I know literally nothing about and now wow. I'm the baby queer person I'm the wow. baby trans person in fact where like a a 21 year old who has you know who started their transition when they were 16 years old knows worlds and worlds more than I do wow. 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 How, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm like the person coming out later in life. I'm like the person who, who yeah. comes out, uh, yeah, in my late 20s and is like, let me try this thing. Let me try it and see if it's for me. Wow. It's so interesting because, you know, last time you were here, we had a conversation about like, what does it mean when you uh, hit big early? What does it mean when you hit big later? What mm -hmm. does it mean uh, to gain life experience before you hit big, et cetera, et cetera? And now I'm like, so interesting how the timing is working out for you because a part of me is like things are all going to be converging when they're supposed to now maybe rather than when you were 22 I don't know I don't mean to tell you your life I'm just like it's so interesting how it all works out I mean I'm making the decision to start this at this point in my life because I do have the intention of entering into the public eye in a larger scale way Good. within the next soon Yes. Uh, and I want to, I actually really don't want to like do a medical transition big in the public eye like that. Good. Um, I just don't want, it's none of anybody's business. You know what I mean? Um, and it'll instantly become everybody's business because it's so sensationalized and because there is a culture of specifically trans guys and transmasculine people who document their medical transitions very, yes. in very, very detailed, very intimate ways online and i love to look at that stuff like i'm totally obsessed with looking at it yeah and i like at once like i do want to do that but i also don't want to do that at all and i don't want i don't want everybody in there like curiosities coming around like i've been having this fantasy that i just won't really tell I, i'm like not going to make a big announcement about this and so if you didn't listen to this podcast episode or whatever or if you don't watch the style like you video privilege. that i'm gonna do <laughs> um where i'm certainly gonna have to talk about this um 
you're just going to see me at a bunch of shows over time and be like, what's up with Jess? Is Jess yeah. kind of different? Yeah, I think that there's another comedian I'm thinking of who kind of did it that way where I was like, "Is uh, this is going to sound so... <laughs> I know I'm going to sound like a simpleton and get in trouble, but there was this period where I was like, I asked someone, I was like, is that person we know getting more angelically beautiful? Mm -hmm, And someone mm -hmm. was like, you know, they're on estrogen. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm an idiot. But, you know, I'm even thinking about, um, you know, famously Charlene took her first estrogen shot, I think at Bushwick on stage. Amazing. But that actually was a few years ago. And yes, it was in front of hundreds of people, but... And of course, she didn't know all of them, and it was a big public move. But it still wasn't in. It wasn't on HBO. Right. It was still, and I, I can kind of see this being a little similar for you, where like you have a huge following and you have a community who loves you. So I think you can be supported while you're doing this now before it's like on the Ellen DeGeneres right. show, basically before it's America's business. Yeah. Um. So I think it's like. I'm, I'm, I think the timing of this is all fortuitous. And I also think like based on what you just said about even like from two months ago and from your breakup and how much, how much has happened since, like, I think the soon is going to be much sooner than you think. So it's good that like everything is happening at once. I'm, I know I've, I just keep thinking like, oh my God, what if, you know, because um, something I'm working right now is um, taking tapes to submit for late night. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to take all these tapes and send them in. And then someone's going to book me. And by the time we shoot the show, I'm going to be different. Right. And I wonder what that's going to be like. And I wonder, like, is this stuff still going to work? Um, yeah. And then at the same time, I have a great um, – both an excitement and fear that I'm going to start and it's going to become visible and it's going to legitimize me in this way that I'm not legitimized right now. Uh, I, I see that. I see that. Yeah, that I think. I have a great, great fear that suddenly everyone's eyes will turn and everybody will become interested in me in the way that like I want. And like, But, and- I mean, you've been... You have been in the trenches of non-binary trans world, and you have been, as someone who has written a lot of these fucking stupid, reductive lineups of trans comedians, Listen, you should- we need that. We, we need troll. those credits. We need those credits. You're, you're in a lot of those lists, so I don't think it's going to be such a severe uh, right turn, left turn, whatever. No, but uh, what I mean is- um, because, like, to me, like, what you were just talking about, where you're, like, lifting up the names of people like me and Spike and Lorelai mm-hmm. and Peter Smith and et cetera, um, that, to me, is community seeing each other and you happen to have the platform right. where you could put it out into the world. Yeah. I think what I'm talking about more is the cishet casting directors suddenly being like, ah, yeah. you know— because I famously have never received a callback right. for anything I've gone out for. Um, well, except commercial. I book a lot of commercial. Yes. But, um, <laughs> right? See, and I'm like, oh, I book a lot of commercial and I'm going to change my face. Right. But um, I'm, I'm worried that suddenly – I'm not worried about the benefits I will reap. I'm excited to reap those benefits. I'm worried about being shown – 
the ways that people have perceived me and the ways that people have maybe not seen me as legitimate or disregarded me and that might change and that really may very well change. I'm worried I'm going to get, you know, that once my like quote unquote transition becomes visible in my body that I'll get 10,000 more Instagram followers because I've seen it happen. Um, oh, hold on. Uh, hold on. Come in. Okay. Um, they just wanted to interrupt us in that <laughs> moment. Um, um, sorry, I just kind of zoned out. Um, yeah, this is, I think going back to what we were saying earlier, that the issue is not the issue, but it's not just that we're changing so fast. It's like the larger prismatic world around us is changing so fast. Even when we were talking about kind of women and queerness. So a lot of the things you're talking about, it's like the the global perceptions of all of this are going to be so different a year from now. They're so different from a year f- before. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's moving so fast. And going back to like the children we were talking about, the way that 24-year-olds see the world they're only five years younger than than us they it's it's just kind of exponential so a lot of this i don't know it's it's hard because you're basically having to navigate like the entire world's changing perception as you're changing Mm -hmm. so you're kind of like running on uh like a, a moving sphere or something it's crazy right like the world rotating as it rotates around right the sun so, wow. Um, thank you so much for sharing all that. I'm really honored that you, like, chose this time to share this because this is, to me, I, I'm like, when you said this, I could not be more excited for you. I'm just like, it, it, I just think it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity. Yes. And, and I think, like, I, I think rebirth, death and rebirth is, can only serve you. And for you to say, like, actually... I'm going to be taking the reins of this fucking death and rebirth and not just kind of watching it happen around me. You're going to be like unstoppable. As a Sagittarius, I strongly identify with the imagery of uh, like a forest fire burning the forest and then a sprout growing up from the ashes. Princess Um, Mononoke. Yes, Princess Mononoke. (laughs) The only movie I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) Wow, it's so... Wow, so this announcement is coming at the very end of Jupiter and Sagittarius. I knew this was going to be your fucking year. I knew it. Yeah. Wow. I'm just going to I'm just going to rupture, you know, and burst and and just see what comes out on the other side. So where can we follow you? You can follow me on Twitter at JessTom. That's J-E-S-T-O-M. You need to follow them right away because they are really on one lately. <laughs> I will say my Twitter is very good. <laughs> and also uh, on Instagram at JessTheKid. That's J-E-S the kid. And I'm learning Instagram, so follow me there too because I'll get better at it. And hotter. <laughs> Thank you. Just hotter and hotter. And it won't necessarily because be because I become more binaristically masculine. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, just because they're, like, doing really good poses. Um, Jess, I actually, even though this is the second time I've had you on, I cannot wait for the third time, which I hope is very soon. Uh, this has been 
Really a delight. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, David. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luminaries, let me know. Give me a five-star rating on iTunes. Write a glowing encomium. Share it on your Instagram stories. Email it to your Aunt Joan. And help make this series bigger and better with every episode. Thank you for listening, and let's grow together. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.